Welcome back to another episode of the Shorts and Goggles podcast. RJ Liggins and Kevin Reed officially in 2021. We did it. It's uh, January 4th on Monday. And Kev, before we hopped on the pod, we were uh, we we're talking about how this is probably the most Monday of Mondays we've experienced in a while. Easily the most Monday of Mondays. I am thrilled to be in 2021. I am glad this Monday is over. Let's 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 put it that way. And and nothing bad happened. It was just very. Bleh. It's just that like post angle or post holiday hangover, um, mm-hmm. you know, maybe physically and, and literally, but also mentally just, you know, you get used to hanging out on the couch and watching basketball all day and then you can't do that all that's, of a sudden. That's what I was doing, man. And it's just a bummer. Bummer. I wasn't doing that this morning, but we got a lot of good stuff to talk about. We do. Yeah. So for today's pod, we're going to talk, do a quick NBA catch up and then we're going to do our long talked about. Uh, book club podcast on three ring circus about the Shaq and Kobe Lakers. So we'll just start things off last night. Um, this guy, you might've heard of him, Stephen Curry. He dropped 62 points on the Portland Trail Blazers in a dubs win. Um, usually that's not a huge deal, but I feel like lately there's been quite a discourse on Steph Curry and especially with the Warriors not being the team that they were a few years ago. Uh this feeling of like shade and this is redemption. I don't know. The Steph Curry conversation is weird, Kev. So what, after seeing he dropped 62, I guess, what were your initial thoughts on it and and Steph Curry? Oh man. I, when I saw that box score and I was playing against Steph Curry in fantasy basketball. Oh um, no. So last night I was like, I had a lead and I had enough of a lead to hold off that onslaught, but there's, Part of me that was like, no, no, no. But I was, I was fired up, man. I, I was, I was really pumped for Steph because um, as I've said on the last couple pods, I've been quietly buying low on the Warriors here mm-hmm. for, for the last couple times. And I, that's the best case scenario, obviously, of what a Clay Thompson-less Warriors scenario will give you. But it's important to, I'm glad he did that just to remind people of his importance his, mm-hmm. his, his caliber. Um, I'm wondering if with the discourse that we're going to have on this, because in other pods we've done, we, when we've talked about like Michael, we've talked about other various stars. There is, there comes a point in a, in a player's career where it turns on them, where mm-hmm. either like perception or media, maybe not media, but like public perception is like looking for something to, to get at them. And sure. You're right. It seemed like this was going to be the year maybe that people were wanting to take jabs at Steph. Is 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 this where you're going with that? Kind of. I mean, like just jumping on Twitter last night and just seeing the reaction, a lot of people were like very defensive of Steph. Like, you know, of like this is why you don't slander Steph. This is, you know, this is for all the people saying he's overrated. And even Steph himself has had comments about um, people saying that he's overrated. He had that comment about um, all of my rings are against a guy you consider the greatest of all time. And if I was able to beat him, then what does that make me? You know, which is like, you know, obviously trying to to, um, raise his his level or sort of speak while also taking a subtle, subtle jab at LeBron, which you you mentioned that, you know, it's clear they don't necessarily um, aren't necessarily fond of each other. It's not like they have a heated rivalry but they they take their jabs at each other when they can yeah so i think there's an interesting conversation in where we thought this warrior season was going to go versus like what that means for steph curry overall um 
But I do think that, you know, there were people that were reveling in the death of the Warriors, so to speak, this year, or just kind of like noticing um, that, hey, Steph's going to have to carry a team that's not that good. A supporting cast that doesn't look that great. And the early return on was like, this team's going to be terrible this year. Um, which, you know, is like, that could still be true. You know, <laughs> like it still be yeah. true for the rest of the season. Um, but I think there might have been a confusion of that as like an indictment on his overall legacy. Um, I don't know. Is that, is that sound it was like a, kind I, of what you're seeing? No, that is what I'm seeing. And I think it's a weird jump. It's an inappropriate jump. Very it's, weird jump. It's and it's it, it's a weird a, a jump of desperation. I would say again because yeah. I think the that's what people want to do is look for look for some way to knock him. I um I loved the 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 shade at LeBron. Mm-hmm. I uh. And you're, you're, you're totally right. Like just in watching, I watched a decent amount of both Warriors Blazers games. There was the one that the, Bla- the first one, the Blazers smacked them. Like, yeah. They killed them. Yeah. Absolutely destroyed them. And you know, Steph had, Steph was very down, had the towel over his head. And I think that's where like it, it, it picked up from there too, because they had like the, the Christmas day massacre. They've had some, they haven't just, they the Warriors when they lost some games, yeah. have been rocked. Um, yeah. So that was the, the commentary was like, you're not just losing, you're getting your ass beat. And, you know, time and time again, we see these, these great players in our lives rise to these moments. And it's granted, it's what end of early January, end of December. And like, mm-hmm. not on a scale of importance, it's not that important, but Steph showing where he, where he is in, in terms of how important the league is. And, you, you love to see it. Like, like, like we were going back and forth with on the tag, like you love to see it. That's, yeah. um, that's, it, it, it made me so happy. I loved um, Dame Dame on Twitter was like, there's like a video of Dame, like dapping up Steph at the yeah. end at the game. And his, his comment was like, you, you got to be able to take it when like, if you're going to dish it out, you got to be able to take it. Like, because you know, Dame, I, I love the Dame warriors angle too of that of like, yeah, how, how he's from the Bay and like, he, he's like, I just love Dame. This is a pro Dame <laughs> podcast, <laughs> but, Absolutely. but with, yeah, with regards to Steph, he's a, he's a great foil for Steph because like they, they don't have like animosity for each other. They don't personally hate each no. other, but, but they're going to, they're going to go, go at each other. And so, yeah, I think the stat is that the team that Dame averages the most against it throughout his career was against Golden State, which isn't a huge surprise, but like, it's just, like you said, it's just a little extra layer on everything and basically Steph seen Dame these past couple of years more or less do an impression of him. Yes. In a lot of ways with like the long, the long pull-up shots, uh being able to take over games with just a myriad of shooting. Like Steph's looking at that. Um it's like the Chappelle joke where he talks about Key and Peel having to watch Key and Peel do a show for three years or something like that. <laughs> yes. It's, that's probably kind of what Steph felt mm. a little bit too. So I think there is a little bit extra too going at Dame with the 62. But um, I guess I'll, I'll ask this question first, and then we'll get more into just the overall staff legacy. So the model for the Warriors this year, if they are going to pull off what you predict they can, which is sneak into the playoffs, is basically Steph has to do what Kobe did in 2006, which is average like 35 a game, have multiple 60-point games, multiple 50-point games. Yeah. Steph's also 32. Like, you know, not a huge deal. Something to think about. I mean, like, is it realistic to expect him to do this night in and night out? No. And one of my impossible, not impossible, but it's not like, 
not like he, he's also a completely different player than Kobe was. Fact, um, yeah. yeah, that's uh, just not disputable there. And but when you watch when you're watching those Warriors games, you you can see just how badly they miss Clay. There is because yeah. yeah. they're doing they're running their offense. They're running like their spacing is great. Their cutting is great. Their passing is great. It's all the good stuff. It's just like now it's. Kelly Oubre taking that shot mm-hmm. instead of Clay Thompson taking that shot. Yeah. And Oubre has fallen off a cliff this year. Goodness gracious. Terrible. Wiggins hasn't been much better. So, yeah. no, to your point, like, yeah, you you see how much they miss Clay Thompson. And even in a lesser extent, Draymond Green, um, who just, he just, you know, is that familiarity and that continuity. And I think that confidence too, when you have those championship guys on the floor with you, like, you, you feel more like a champion where this does kind of just feel like Steph at the YMCA running with, with a bunch of scrubs. Yeah. Now to, and I don't to, mean to call NBA player scrubs, but like for the sake of the analogy, for the, for the sake of the point. Now to your, you're saying you're, we're talking like the Kobe year where he's like, he takes the seven seed Lakers and like, mm-hmm. it's all him. <sighs> like, yeah. Would it, how about this? How about this question? Which would be, which would be more impressive? If he took them to the playoffs, which yeah, if, season? if Steph gets a seven seed out of these Warriors versus Kobe getting a seven seed out of those Dude, Lakers, I think Steph honestly mm. because I think I think quietly that Lakers team is like as good <laughs> as this Warriors <laughs> team. Like I know we should all like Smush Parker and Kwame Brown a lot, we but do. like Lamar Odom was on that team, Luke Wallen was on that team. They're not they're not studs, but like they're dudes that knew what the fuck to do. And it's like yep. I'm not sure anybody else on this Warriors team really knows that right now. Now. That could definitely change. Uh, but also, too, I just think the West is way more competitive this year than it was in 2006. Oh, and you so you look at it, and, and what are we, five games, six games through the season? Like, Yeah, it's still um, so early. Yeah. It's every, every team in the West is like three and three. Yeah. It's crazy. So, mm-hmm. And they're just taking turns blowing each other out, basically. <laughs> yes, they're just – everyone is swinging hard. And I – it's the, the we talked about the series aspect of it mm. like it's that's adding a new wrinkle to this nba season which i think is kind of cool where you yeah, have definitely so you have the blazers blow out the lakers and then steph stews on it for 48 hours and then unle- unleashes that that would in, in other times it would that would be days if not weeks if not months between mm-hmm. the months next between matchup games between probably yeah yeah yeah, so I mean, do you feel like this is overrated, possibly, in how we evaluate superstars? This idea that you have to carry a team to a title—is it overrated or antiquated? Maybe is it antiquated? Mm. Well, no, I don't think it's antiquated. Okay. Um, I think even in this last decade of basketball, we we you have seen guys carry that carry their teams to championships Mm -hmm. um we 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 spent a ton of time talking about lebron and ad Mm -hmm. kind of tag teaming um Kawhi. the um we're gonna actually the our next topic about kevin durant plays an interesting little wrinkle into the steph thing because i think part of the steph discourse that can't be ignored is um the the villainization of the warriors once once they once they got durant and now there's there's leftover remnants from that and it's like you okay you 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 got that first you know that first title but like 
without Kevin, you're nothing. Uh. Yeah. And it's really easy to kind of do revisionist history on that, that title two and 15 and kind of look at it and just realize that that series is a lot closer than people thought. And Kyrie and Kevin Love didn't really play in it. Kevin Love didn't play in it at all. Kyrie only played one game. He didn't even finish the game. So, you know, it's easy for people to kind of take a look back and just be like, well, LeBron got two games off of that team, like literally by himself had nobody else with him. So it's easy to say like, well, if they had their full team, maybe the Warriors never, they don't even get off the ground. Like that's not fair. Like you can't really have that. I don't think that's a real conversation to have, but after that, then they do lose in 16. They blow the three, one lead without Katie. And then they get Katie and basically steamroll through two finals more or less in two playoffs. And yeah. then in 19, everybody gets hurt and it is just Steph by himself and then he can't win. And so like, it's like one of those, like, like uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like fault, like a fast fallacy or like, um, yeah, I'm, there's a word I'm, I'm trying to, it's like this association association. I can't remember what it is, but no causation without correlation or something like okay, that. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, because Steph was like the last one standing on that 19 team, people were like saying like, well, he couldn't carry that team past, you know, Toronto who also had one superstar and it's it's just weird like the gymnastics people are willing to go through to discredit Steph but I do think that the KD part of it comp like it really does complicate the legacy part of it you know it does. like how do we value those titles when he hasn't won a, a finals MVP he didn't even win finals MVP when Durant wasn't on the team so you know it it it, it does complicate it a little bit as far as like what that how we evaluate that and that's why i was asking if like this idea that a star has to carry a team you know if that adds if that's like really that important to a uh all-time player's resume especially like in steph's case which is kind of a unique situation well i want to put it back on you because in asking the question are you suggesting that it is is it like is it antiquated or is it like i think it can i think it's like it's a weird mark to have because we have, we tend to talk out of both sides of our mouth with this kind of, with this kind of stuff, you know, where it's like um, LeBron is, you know, he has his finals record, but how many teams of those were, was he the only guy? Like, right. I mean, really the art, the main argument is probably like 2007 and then 2018 are two times where he was like truly by himself in 15. Yeah, you can you can give him an ashes for or you know a pass for fifteen. So it was like three of those what six losses he's had in the finals. Is that does that sound right? So three of those six times he had basically nobody else on his team. So right. we hold his finals record against him, but you know at the same time, like he's he's by himself. But then you know he gets teammates or joins the big three or whatever that might be. And now like yeah. we're diminishing those titles because he has help. Same, same kind of thing with like that. I don't understand this. Uh, when we talk about Jordan, who's perfect in the finals, who played with two all of famers in the second three P had Scotty Pippen yes. for the full first three P um, you know, there's this idea that he like did it by himself or that like outside of Pippen, the rest of the bulls were scrubs. And like, that wasn't the case. They're not all timers by any means, but they're like, for their era and their time, they were useful role players. So that's where I'm kind of coming from, where it's like, this is, is this conversation we tend to talk out of both sides of our mouths. Right. And we, yeah, yeah. we use it from when it benefits our argument. Yes. Um, 
in, in trying to either like diminish or, or raise up somebody's profile. Cause you make the same argument for why LeBron is so great is because he took those teams to the finals. And arguably we've talked about it on the pod the, yeah. that LeBron's like most endearing moment in some eyes, maybe in my eyes is the, like the game one of the J.R. Smith NBA finals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like, you know, the, the heroic imagery of like the guy, one man versus the entire mighty golden state warriors. And he almost did it. And there, mm-hmm. there's a, there's a, like a, there's a poeticness to yeah. that. Um, yeah. So if we're trying to give Steph the, the poeticness of it, then he is kind of, he he could from a narrative structure, like beyond the, the beyond the rise back with that, mm-hmm. which would be, which would be cool. Yeah. And it's like, Think of it this way too. How come Duncan doesn't get held to that standard? Oh, that's that's really interesting. Like he's one of the only superstars that doesn't get that that kind of treatment, even though he had great teams throughout his his whole career. Basically, I mean, you could argue maybe two thousand three was when he he was kind of the one man show because I was yep. young, young Tony, young Manu, Dave Robson on the way out. You know. Um, and they beat, you know, that Shaq and, and Kobe team in 03. So you could probably make the argument that I was like the one time he's had to put the team on his back. But after that, and there really wasn't a time where he like, quote unquote, carried a team. Is that because now how about this? How about this for a point? The, the face of the Spurs who brings the attention to themselves mm-hmm. and, and like, you know, creates is the focal point of the narrative is Popovich. Okay. Yeah. So I think a lot of the, the, whatever the, the circus to use our book that Mm -hmm. people write about and people create is targeted towards Popovich because of how outspoken he is because of um, the personality that he is and, you know, disgruntled sideline interviews, wine connoisseur, social justice warrior, mm-hmm. um, been, been, been around for decades. There's all these different hats that he wears that um, any a variety of people can look at. And mm-hmm. Steph is the Steph and is the, is the face of the warriors. And, you know, Kerr speaks on things and Kerr has his own little like niche personality case and, and whatnot, but he not, not nearly to the extent of pop. Yeah. Um, the I think previewing our conversation about the these the two thousands Lakers like the thing that made it a three ring circus was because you had three lightning rods you had yeah. you had Shaq you had Kobe you had Phil Jackson and then in like subsequent years you had Gary Payton and Carl Malone you had like you had the, all these uh, all this attention magnet Duncan never sought it mm-hmm. so I don't know if it was ever um, created for him. Yeah, and Duncan never was like a the face of the league in the sense that Steph has been before either, too. Right. So that's I guess that's kind of what I'm what I'm getting at is like why couldn't Steph kind of slide into that lane as far as like being an incredible player on in their own right while also being the phenomenal teammate that played for one of the most dynastic teams you know we've had in history like. Why do we why do we keep trying to compare him to LeBron when he's closer to a Duncan or something like that? I think he's too important. And mm. not to disrespect Duncan, but um, culturally, 
yeah. pop pop culturally, um, Steph Curry is a peer of LeBron. Mm, okay. is, a, is a is a peer of Jordan. There's the like the off the court. Um, he like people um, younger than us now think of see Steph Curry as the like the standard bearer for what a basketball player's like mm. game should be modeled on. Um, he, you know, and, and at the, at the same time also like, you know, he's, he's also out there with his, with his family and um, his, his, his wife is famous and um, you know, his daughter's adorable from those press conferences years ago. And like, right. like Steph is so culturally important and maybe it's because he played in San Antonio um, maybe it's more because of his personality um, because the same thing happened with um, the Admiral, to be honest, like yeah. he's kind of a, he's a, he's a niche figure like that NBA, NBA fans love them. Some Admiral, you know, great, but he, his, his what's his, what's his thing. Oh, hardworking Naval officer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tim Duncan um, from, the Virgin Islands, like hardworking system, big fundamental team, yeah. team guy, funda- big fundamental. Literally, yeah. his nickname, fundamental. Like, I don't. He he didn't the, the off the court part of it. Does that add? I think to, it's. I think it's that, and I think it is just the revolution that Steph ushered in too. Like yeah. Steph really did change the game, not just from what we expect from a superstar, which basically like we since Jordan more or less we were saying like you need to have a dominant or you need to be a dominant wing in order to be the guy yeah in the league um and he was the one that took it from the three-point shooting point guard position below the rim type mm-hmm. of type of role and and then the Warriors too revolutionized the system in basketball and like yep. basically took positions out of the equation and um you know, they, they, I think they, they, they caught lightning in a bottle in a lot of, a lot of different ways. Um, and I think that's partially where a lot of the resentment towards them, it, it, it's not just the winning part of it, but it's the fact that like they really came and rocked the boat. And for people that want to see it kind of sway back to that traditional, like what we're used to seeing, like they, you know, they want to see the dominant wing players, you know, shooting 30 times a game or whatever. Um, and they, I think, like I said, in the beginning, people reveled in kind of the demise of the warriors. Like, this is what you get. This is, you sold your soul to get this system and this kind of basketball. And now this is, you know, the basketball guys repaying on that or collecting on their deck kind of, um, which makes sense. Like you need to have villains in basketball, I guess, but I think it did swing a little too far for Steph. I feel like we always were on like the same page of like, no, Steph Curry is obviously like a top 20 player. Like I've, I don't feel, I don't think we ever really like underrated him or overrated him at any point. Right. I don't think so. I think I may have been in the overrating camp there for a, a bit. Um, sure. I, I might, I might still be there. The, is it here? Here's another angle I just thought of. Is it because it's a, it's a shooting thing? Like, is there something because of his game, the nature of his game is seemed to be so much more of like, um, I don't know, like uh, fluky or Mm. like, you know, people see like, 
oh, you're like, you've lived, like, have you lived on these deep threes and contested this and yada, yada. And now like your, your time I don't know has about come. that. Cause Dame, cause like we just talked about Dame does Dame, the exact same Dame's thing. Repeating it. What I'm, yeah, what I'm, but Dame is of, just a lot cooler than Curry. Like Curry's kind of corny. <laughs> why? Okay. Is that, so is that part of it? I, I think that does kind of play a part of it. Like, I mean, Steph's not, he's, he's kind of like David Robinson personality wise, you know, just yeah. like real clean cut, real good dude, like never involved in scandal. And therefore isn't like necessarily that interesting because like, he's not in controversy, like the Shaq and Kobe Lakers were about to talk right. about, or, you know, like, um, like LeBron, even with like the decision and stuff like that, or Kevin Durant, both guys that really don't have any negative things on the record at all that suggest that they're bad guys but like that controversy was created you know because of decisions that they made like Steph is just kind of boring like in that sense so it's like you know if you if you need to create a narrative around him like I think throwing dirt on him versus like praising him and over praising him kind of like Trey Young at Oklahoma type of syndrome right I think that's that's how you can create or that's how conversation around them are created versus like you know just being able to watch them play basketball My, yeah. that just might be like just the business nba side of it too i don't i don't know and like the pop culture side is there something about him not being a dunker i think that i mean dunking always oh. helps but i mean he he changed the way highlights are though too. that's true like he changed the highlight game he's the reason why trey young's on every house of highlight post it seems like um so i mean like steph changed a lot of things so um, I think it's more of just like, you know, people were excited about the reckoning of the Warriors and, you know, seeing, a, you know, it, it'll only be a matter of time before the next villain team comes around. It might right. be the Lakers if they repeat this year, you know, who knows? Yeah. I just like one, once more for our audience is we, we, we talk about the cyclical nature of it is you know, as much as people love to tear something down. But then the only thing they love more than tearing something down is building it back up. Which enter our boy, Kevin Durant. Mm. So you wanted to talk about the last night, uh, Katie and Kyrie fell to Washington. Yes. Uh, who's now stringing together a couple of wins. Granted, I think all of them came because the opposite team messed up their last play. But a <laughs> win's a win. You got to take it to the bank. Right. Got it. Um, Katie and Kyrie both had opportunities to make the last basket um yes to win the game for them so i guess what was what was it that jumped out to you about that possession and just more or less like what's going on right now in brooklyn so you said it right there is that on this possession if you if you all haven't seen it um there's it's Kyrie working working on his man um takes it takes a not a great shot i'm gonna like you know we've seen Kyrie make this shot like it's it's in his arsenal um misses it durant gets the rebound durant takes a not great we've definitely seen him make it shot Mm. misses wizards win the game the the irony of it though if you watch if you watch both when you watch when Kyrie has the ball and then when you watch when kd has the ball the, the irony to it is that the best play would have been for one to pass to the other in each, in each of their little mini possessions. Mm. Um, I think Kyrie had a, was, was working on his guy. I think he, he got himself into a dribble drive situation and could have done, could have done a kick. 
Durant has it like I want to say he's at like the elbow. I want to say he's like he like catches at the top of the key and then gets to the elbow and gets and gets to his spot. You know, and he and he does things that like he can do in his sleep. I get that, but Kyrie is and Kyrie's pissed if you look after the game. Like he's he's he wants to all of a sudden blow up. You can see him like I'm watching Kyrie's body language as the game ends, and like he looks like he's like about to throw a hissy fit about him not taking the last shot. And then like, he has to, he's like, that was Durant taking that shot. Like I, like he has, he has the same clearance that I do. Mm. He has the same top secret security clearance that I do to take the, to take that last shot. Right. But so Durant top of the key guys kind of collapsing on him. His best, his best move I think is right there to his right is Kyrie a little in rhythm three there. So there's what I, why I sent that to you and what I found really interesting about it is you had two stars who have done this in their careers many, many times in one possession where you could argue the better basketball players for one to pass to the other. Right. And neither of them thought twice about passing to it. Like there was like, no, Mm -hmm. not passing. Yeah. That could be a couple of things that could just be, chemistry that could be them just thinking they legitimately had the best shot but yeah um I do think what's interesting though is like you mentioned Kyrie kind of looking like he's about to blow up at the end of the game like I don't think KD would care if Kyrie actually got that last shot I think and that's the difference between them I think there's gonna be an interesting wrinkle for them to try to work out and, and kind of what my theory about this is is like when Kyrie's played with another superstar, that superstar has been undoubtedly better than him. Like yes. as 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 good as Kyrie is, like he's not better than LeBron. He's not better than Kevin Durant. Nope. And KD knows, like when he was in Golden State and when he's with Brooklyn, like he's the best player on the team. Like he knows that he understands that he doesn't have any like insecurities about that. And so I kind of wonder if that's something that Kyrie is still trying to navigate at now that he is back with playing with another great player. Um, I mean, is that is that kind of looking too far into it, or is it just kind of like it was just a weird situation to, to end the game? Well, you saying that makes me. What was the the whole thing with like? Was it this year where like Kyrie said something about like he invoked oh, yeah. LeBron, LeBron, and LeBron and LeBron was basically like, "WTF? I wanted nothing but success for that guy." Had like, <laughs> yeah, no, that was the thing. I think LeBron commented on it this year but i think the the comments came the year before actually when they first joined up together and, and bk and basically yeah what Kyrie was saying was like i go look across the court and know that that guy's as capable as me of making the last shot and then lebron's over here like what the fuck like lebron james um and so yeah that so that is like I, like where does that come from like where where's that coming from for Kyrie? i don't know i He's so funny. He's um he's he's a he's a unicorn and like yeah. <laughs> as a person. Like mentally, yeah. <laughs> he's, <laughs> wasn't he's, a, wasn't I saying in a text like this might have been a couple of weeks ago that he's the new Bill Wallen? Like not from a playing standpoint, but just from a out there, just doing his own thing, like doesn't really care what anybody else says or thinks about him. Like he's just gonna do him. You did make that comparison. And yeah, so he's the new Bill Wong, basically. <laughs> the longer I've stewed on that, I think the more apropos that comparison is. That's well done. 
Yeah, because he's just he's just gonna do his thing, but at the same time, he's got that Kobe in him, that kind of he, complex, and we're gonna talk more about that. Of like, he feels like he needs to be that guy to take the last shot. Whereas like Durant, like I said, isn't gonna care as long as it's no. a good shot. As long as it's a good shot, he's not going to care if Correct. he takes it or not. But I just I just think that's an interesting wrinkle to kind of keep an eye on i think they'll figure it out just as they play more games together and get in more crunch time situations but um it was interesting just kind of how that did end up playing out for them it was um it was too perfect not to like comment on it was like uh, and and am i overhyping this possession yes i am but it was like it was (laughs) it was it was just too perfect not to like in your defense, it's been a slow basketball news. If it hey. wasn't for Steph dropping 62, I don't think we would have talked about the NBA at all today. I know. We probably just would have done deep book dive. But uh, good good for good for Steph. Good for um, you know, I think the Kyrie, the Kyrie um Kobe aspect is mm. um if I if I may segue. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Um Three Ring Circus, Jeff Perlman mm-hmm. is our is our author. This is our Second, third book club. I think third one. First one we did was Solo Basketball, and then we did Seven Seconds or, Second less. or less. Yeah, yep. Solo Basketball is on our Spotify feed. Uh, Seven Seconds or less. The audio got kind of messed up, so that one's still on our Shorts and Goggles blog. Uh, but feel free to check out both if you haven't. Good plug. Um, Kyrie, the the um the big dog nature. The um I w- I need to best you. That was mm-hmm. um you know we were preparing for this pod and some some takeaway moments just like kobe unnecessarily needing to big dog rookies needing to like assert his dominance for for no reason whatsoever there's an edge of that in this like Kyrie situation where it's like i I need i need to big dog you i need to um uh, i need i need to be the alpha i and and that like like, okay yeah little brother syndrome definitely yeah Definitely. Before we dive into that, we'll just do a quick synopsis of the book. Go ahead. Um, so Three Ring Circus by Jeff Perlman. This came out this past year in 2020. Uh, so it came out after um, Kobe's death in January. Uh, but this book goes back and really starts around 1995. So right before they get Shaq from Orlando and they draft Kobe. So they talk about stories of courting Shaq, getting Kobe through the through the draft. And just what the next eight years look like through 2004, essentially, where the Lakers um, went through a couple of different rebuilds and then eventually won three back to back titles and then uh, their untimely demise in 2004. Um, so really, this gets more in depth as far as the relationship between Shaq, Phil and Kobe and how they all interacted and uh, getting different anecdotes from different role players that played with them and was a part of that more or less like what was the first real like reality TV show style NBA coverage, really um, the bulls were rock stars, but really their laundry state in house for the most part, this is like the first team where we're really seeing all the dirty laundry getting aired um, and kind of how that, that changes things in the NBA and, and for everyone involved on that team. So before we dive into like those takeaways that we were, we were talking about, I guess, what do you remember pre-book about this Lakers team like what was your impression of them uh before picking this up oh okay so I have a couple snapshot memories as a kid um I obviously remember seeing Shazam in theaters yeah yep absolutely absolutely saw Shazam in theaters which um 
you know, it's like the opening of this book more or less, or that's like chapter three, like mm-hmm. when we get into early shack. Um, I remember the, so I saw Shazam in theaters. I saw, um, I have a distinct memory of the Robert Ori tip out three. Yeah. I, I, um, guess the Kings. Yeah. We were at a restaurant. Like I wasn't watching it actively, but like we were at a, like a restaurant. I think we were about to go eat and like the, it happened in like the, the this is a play, a random ass place in Lexington, Kentucky. And everyone just like lost their mind. It was like, what just happened there? So hmm. I, I remember that shot. Um, I remember, I think my appreciation of the like um, AI stepping over Ty Lu. Um, I don't know. I don't remember watching that in the moment. I'm sure I did. I don't remember watching that in the moment, but I think my appreciation of that grew afterwards. Um, but my most vivid memory with these Lakers is um, the the 2014, which is what this this book concludes with. Um, mm. And because I was I was watching that I was watching those finals every game of those finals very intently as a huge, as has been discussed in the pod, Tayshawn Prince fan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Your boy, yeah. Um, yeah, I guess for me, what I remember most about that team was like, I just remember dominance. You know what I'm saying? It's like, mm. it's kind of like the rose colored glasses, or whatever. Like, I, I knew yep. about all the drama and stuff like that just because, like, I went back and read about it. But if I had to think back about like me in the moment, I just like assumed that like the Lakers won every single game. Yeah, there was a couple of really tough battles like game seven against the Blazers or. Uh, you know, the King series, including the Robert Horry shot. I remember I actually did watch that game live and, and did a lap around my house. Uh, <laughs> same with the Derek Fisher point four shot. That was another one I saw live and went crazy for. Um, but like my like recollection of, of the Lakers was like Shaq was super dominant. Uh, Kobe was super cool and like equally as dominant. And basically during that stretch, like nobody could touch them really. Um, and I think that's how the majority of people remember them. Yes. Right. I think that's, that's how the, a lot of people remember is just like kind of that dominant force. Um, but then, yeah, once you do start to kind of peel back the onion layer, so to speak, like you kind of start to learn a lot about, or even, I don't even know if it was learned a lot about for me, it was a lot of like refreshers on stuff that maybe I read before or, had heard through different podcasts or something like that. I've just like all the dysfunction that went on uh, with this team. And if anything, it's like, it's almost more impressive that they were able to win anything just with all the different dynamics at play within that team. I've got two more. I've got two more um, things that just came to my mind. One is I remember a, this is, and this would have been after 2004, this would have been summer 2008 um, or like end of school 2008. I got into like a, a decently long, argument with a teacher about like Shaq versus Kareem hmm. and like it's an interesting <laughs> conversation to have it's like you said it's 2008 so I was yeah senior senior in, senior high, in high, school. high school and like right. I was like I was like man I was just in but you saying like the dominance of Shaq just brought brought me back to that point and like there is a good largely the time period of this book window where Shaq was a cheat code. Shaq yeah. was Couldn't not do anything. Yeah. And then speaking of that, I want to shout out our, our friend D Hine, who um, yep. 
his love of Rick Fox. Yes, <laughs> he loves Rick Fox. <laughs> his love of Rick Fox um, comes out of the NBA Live video games. Mm. And I would, he would just, he would, <laughs> he would love to score with Rick Fox on these Laker teams. He's like, I'll play with it. Like, uh, if I'm remembering this and Derek, feel free to correct me, but it was like, I'll play with the Lakers, but like, I'm going to get most of my shots up with Rick Fox. Yeah, if like, I remember correctly from NBA Live, as like Rick Fox was automatic from three, he was basically Clay Thompson. And yeah, he NBA was, Live. yeah. So, like, it was what playing with the Lakers in that era on a video game is like how we look at playing. Oh, I still remember that one Madden that had Michael Vick on the cover and was like, you, yeah, that 2004. Yeah, yeah, you can't play with the Falcons. That's that's not fair, right? Like, and, mm-hmm. and to some extent playing with um playing with the Lakers and some of those best like <laughs> properly playing with the Lakers and like dishing it down to Shaq and like all that it's just it's it's it wasn't fair I no. remember um Kobe Bryant NBA courtside um yep, I remember that N64 remember the um the oh there's the opening I used to watch the opening montage all the time Do you remember this like and it was just all it was was like before you press the start button it was just basically like Kobe in N64 graphics, like doing really dope shit, yeah. like in different courts and different uniforms. And nope. I, I trust me. I'd still have NBA court side. I popped <laughs> it in for old time's sake, like six months ago or something like that. Love and that. graphics are, are atrocious now by today's standards. But I remember as a kid being so hyped because Kobe was like my first favorite player ever. Like yeah. I loved Kobe as a kid. My first memory was the dunk contest. Okay, so that's um, what did it for you. That's your yeah, entry point. Yeah, and it's like it's funny because like what what you read a lot about of this book is like not not flattering towards Kobe at all. No. Um, but for me as a kid, and I imagine it's how a lot of kids today see Steph Curry. I know I was talking about how he's kind of corny now or whatever. Like to a kid though, like a six or seven year old, like Steph Curry is not corny. Steph Curry is the coolest fucking guy on the planet. Yes. So I imagine it's a lot like that for like how I saw Kobe. Is a lot like how kids see Curry today and, and so on and so forth. But with that in mind, how was it reading this with everything that did end up happening almost a year ago now, which is crazy. Right. Um, in that helicopter accident. Um, and just, yeah, reading that book now with the, that kind of lens. Uh, well, that lens is really interesting to look at the path the past Lakers team because if anything it emphasizes a lot like our conversation we were having at the start of this podcast about how you can look at a a life and let's call it a life not a career a, a life you can look at a life and you can frame it in different ways and like it would have been really interesting to see Kobe addressing this book Mm -hmm. would have been really interesting because, and you'll have to help me here. I'm, I'm not as familiar. I felt like he, he was maybe beginning and I'm using that word loosely, like beginning to talk about Colorado, like, or at least like wasn't completely stiff arming it. Like I, I think he is still, for the most part, not addressing it. Yeah. Um, okay. Even in Muse, which came out in 2015, I think 26, I think 2015 is when Muse came out. Yeah. Um, he he doesn't really address it necessarily. Like he addresses more of the affair part of it, um, but doesn't actually talk about. I mean, because I don't. I think there's like NDAs and stuff. Um, sure. 
side for that. So basically, it's like nobody nobody talks about it. Basically, okay. Um, but yeah, it would have been interesting to see how he not only addresses that, but also just a lot of the the stories about him as a teammate early on. Um, yes. Not not really the most flattering depiction. Um, I personally, I don't think he would have addressed the Colorado parts of this book, but he probably would have talked about just some of the other stuff. And as far as like who he was as a teammate and stuff like that. I, before, and we don't have to dwell on it. I'll, I'll just say like within the context of the book, I was not expecting that chapter. Um, yeah, that was, and I, I think I was, I truthfully, I think I was naive to, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of it. And I, it, I've done a number of like pop culture deep dives. Like you, you, you ever want to talk about like Kennedy assassination conspiracy theories, holler at me. Like it, like, you know, everyone has their little niche rabbit hole like areas. I, to be honest, and for as much as we both love basketball and for as much as like we, we both love Kobe, I, I just didn't know that much about the specifics of it. I knew there was a civil suit after the fact. I didn't know like what took it from criminal to civil and, Boy, that that chapter of this book does not yeah. mince any words to it. It does not. It is very raw. I mean, brought to the point where it's like actual interview transcript yes. between Kobe and the police, which was like that was something I'd never read before. Nope. Uh, there's parts of it that I heard before, like I've heard about, but yeah, I never read like the full interview. Um, and even in Phil Jackson's book, the last season, which goes over the 2004 year, which is the same time that 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 trial is happening. Yep. The, it doesn't go into like what like the rest of the team thought about that or like, you know, some of the like jokes that Shaq was making at Kobe's expense about it. Some of the things yep. Kobe was saying about Shaq because of the incident. Um, and so that, I think that was like definitely the most like eye opening, but also like just with the the backdrop of Kobe not being here to like kind of quote unquote defend himself. Like it did kind of make it a little like cringe worthy too, to read that. Cause you know, you do kind of want to be like, dude, this guy just died, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. And I, and I do think that the editors realized that and knew that because uh, Perman starts the book with kind of talking a little bit about like how, when you heard that Kobe passed away and how he just finished this book and blah, blah, blah. And there's even, this is something that I noticed actually. So in the uh, the front, like little, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like flap of the book yep. or whatever. Like so, hardcover book. So this is basically what would be on the back of the book. So um, I noticed this part, and I never read this part before. But it says with Kobe Bryant's tragic death in 2020, Three Ring Circus also serves as an extraordinary coming of age tale about one of the era's most revered athletes, Bryant's competitiveness, insecurities. And aspiring growth as a player comes into full focus. Um, so with that, like, so I do sort of, sort of, yeah, you can definitely make that case, but you I do, can make, it's only the first half of it. Like, yeah, exactly. You don't get the becoming of age of it. You get the, like, you, you get his dirt, mm-hmm. but the book, the book cuts off before the redemption, if you will. Yeah, and, and really the only redemption mentioned is just the fact that he won a couple more titles and yeah. you know, scored 60 points in his last game and had, you know, these people that kind of he alienated um, present for the game. So it was just really – it was weird to read that with just with that context just because it, it still felt fresh, you know, like um, especially when I, I read this like a few months ago. So it was like still pretty fresh for me. Um, but at the same time, it's like – 
I feel like just the overall tone of the book was kind of negative too, like, or not negative, but very critical. <laughs> um, even super Mag- critical of Kobe. Even Magic Johnson gets smoked in the beginning of the book yes, when they're talking about that 95 team. And uh, like, there's just a lot of, a lot of criticism about like Nick Van Exel, Eddie Jones, Shaq, Phil, like, and all like personal stuff too, not like personality stuff, not even so much of like who they were as players. There was a lot of that too, but so that was another reason why I didn't, you know, I was able to kind of take that step back and just be like, all right, like he's he's pretty critical of everyone in this book. So it's like Kobe just happens to be the most fallible of all the players that, that were on that team. I see, I thought my a takeaway I had from the book is like I thought it was a rather like relatively speaking, a pro shack book. Like I would say is, so too, yeah. Yeah, like Shaq comes out of this book looking great, I would say, to be honest. Like, you, you're you asking me to think of, like, a favorite narrative, a favorite, a favorite moment from it. And mm-hmm. I – there's a few I – lo- I loved he- the – I loved hearing how Shaq treated the rookies. And, yeah. and hey, I, we're going to go clothes shopping. Yep, that's on me. Um, you want a car? Yep, that's on me. <laughs> Mad dog. <laughs> Um, I'm, I'm not gonna make light or make fun of your religion. In fact, I'm going to go around Los Angeles and actively try to find Mormon <laughs> girls for you. Like, yeah, <laughs> um, it Shaq comes out of this looking like a really great teammate and yeah. multiple guys on the record in this book saying like Shaq was the best teammate. Shaq was, the, and it's, it's the little guys. It's like, not the, not the NBA lifers. It's the, um, I'm, I'm blanking on his name. The, the guy who like, um, played Iverson in the practices. Oh, like, Ty Lue? Yes, Ty Lue, but also like the... the oh, the like little white dude. Um, yes. Shoot, hang on. I can actually, because his picture's in the book and I got the book in front of me. You, sir, are thinking about <laughs> Mike Penterthy. Penterthy? Penterthy. Sure. sure. Yes. From Masters College, pretending Masters to be Allen College. Iverson to prepare the Lakers for the 2001 NBA title clash. Yeah. Um, so there's that guy. There's Mad Dog. There's all these little, little stories about like a great how, Isaiah Ryder or JR, <laughs> JR Ryder section. <laughs> great JR Ryder section. Um, you you brought up, but but really, other than that, who else would you call winners and losers? Like, um, I mean, I already loved Rick Fox, but I felt like Fox came out pretty Fox good. Fox comes this. out a winner for sure. I think Fox came out a winner because Fox is like, he's the, and this absolutely makes sense. Like if you're going to go and talk to anybody about the Lakers, like you're going to want to get Rick Fox's opinion. Um, Fisher might be the only other guy that you would want, but like he would, he might arguably be a little bit too into the Kobe camp, I guess. Um, cause that was a dynamic that they basically described where it was like, you either like fucked with Shaq or you fucked with Kobe. Yep. And they're like, it really wasn't much in between. Even like Fox was, you know, a Shaq guy. Fox was a Shaq guy, but, but Fisher, right. Fisher was the only one who could like mm-hmm. talk cross. to Kobe. He yeah. could, yeah. Or Fisher, he could go back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. Like Fisher had the respect of everyone because he was like, true. The, the like notes to the ground. Yeah. Hardworking guy. Was he interviewed in this? I, I want to say he was. I don't. There's nothing that stands out entire like nothing specific really stands out about it though. No, that that he said because I know Hori had a couple of of parts where he was talking about 
just the dynamics. Same with Horace Grant. I feel like Horace Grant actually got a, a handful of for a guy that wasn't really on the team that long or that often. He he had two runs with them, but only really was a player really for one of those. Felt like he had a lot of quotes in there. Yeah, uh, yeah a lot of that was another part of that stood out to me. There was a lot of names in there of guys that I don't remember at all. And I found it so interesting just how many of those players came from such weird, obscure colleges. <laughs> like I felt yeah. like there was a lot of like, like master's college. Like what is, what is that? I've never heard of that. Uh, other guys coming from like D2 schools or like whatever. And it's like, for one, it showed me like, dang, all right. Talent back then in the late nineties, early two thousands, talent wasn't quite, where it eventually get to like there must have been a talent drought somewhere because you're drafting guys out of d2 schools um or devin george who came from like uh naia school or whatever the fuck it was and grew in college right he 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 grows a lot and all of a sudden like becomes a a legit prospect yeah and it's like that's not happening anymore unless they they're coming from europe (laughs) that's not happening kind of so it's a scouting thing too right like yeah you're, you're like how are you I think we're, are we, are we better at, or is it just because of like um, internet and social media? Like if you're good at basketball, people will be able to find you. Possibly. Yeah. And I think, yeah, that's probably why there's more like transfers, like transfers are now more of a thing. Right. So instead of an NBA player getting drafted out of, you know, Williamsburg college or wherever, you know, Devin George came from now, Devin George would just transfer to Kentucky and then go to the NBA from there. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, what about Phil in this book? Because yeah. did we learn anything new about Phil necessarily? Or because we had that last season book already, we kind of already knew what what he was like. He's actually released a couple of books as a Lakers coach, right? Yeah, I think as Phil aficionados, we uh, we didn't particularly learn anything no. um, new about it. Uh, yeah, I was, I don't know, I... I I was kind of underwhelmed by, by Phil in this. And again, I think that's because we're aficionados into him, but um, I guess I didn't know. I, it makes sense. I wasn't aware of the lack of uh, chemistry with him and Jerry West. Mm. That was, that was a new revelation to me. Yeah. So I actually, I have read uh, West by West and I, I agree with Perlman on this. It is one of the best basketball biographies out there um super good book but yeah Wes talks a lot about just this dysfunction between him and Phil and it was definitely like Phil came in and basically just like slammed his dick on the table and was like Mm -hmm. what's good you know like um it kind of like uh we were talking about big dog and earlier with Kyrie and Kobe like Phil did that to Jerry in a lot of ways um but I don't know if it like I was I was I was trying to kind of figure out like all right who is who is he trying to is he trying to just kind of state the facts of like this is what happened or is there like certain characters we're supposed to feel sympathetic towards or there's certain characters that we're supposed to feel better about um because yeah the Shaq anecdotes were really cool and stuff like that but it didn't really reveal anything new about Shaq in the sense of he was a beloved teammate like everybody loved him as a teammate the only person that didn't was Kobe because yes. Kobe was so frustrated with um, him being out of shape or you know whatever issues there were between him and Kobe. Now Kobe's interviewed for this book. Like you, there is some quotes from Kobe in it. 
He's got a couple, yeah. They're sprinkled, though. Like yeah. you said, you used the word a couple. They're few and far between. between I think that. a lot of the a lot of the Kobe stuff too came from uh, Showboat, his biography that Rolling Lazenby uh, wrote. That's what I recognize a lot of stuff from there. Mm. Um, but yeah, a lot of direct quotes are I think from like newspapers and like you know articles and interviews that he had back then at the time. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't even think there's that many. There might have been a couple that were from like his retirement tour, I think, but I don't think there's really any too recent. Um, Kobe quotes, you're right; they are pretty, pretty far and few between in this book. So I wonder about that. Like, is that again Kobe not wanting to revisit this time? Is that an author's choice? Is it a combination? Yeah. Is it a combination of both? Um, but certainly in its structure, just by like the amount of it looks like interview material with it. It's certainly like he's, he spends a couple of days with Phil in Montana. He, mm-hmm. um, it sounds like he had a pretty long, good sit down interview at, at the TNT studios with Shaq. Yeah. Like, um, but with the lack of the lack of the primary source Kobe stuff, like either, like I yeah. said, either, either it's an author's choice or it's a, um, and that definitely could have been him too. Um, yeah. Cause you know, Kobe's a control freak. Like he's right. a control freak and he sees himself as a storyteller as well too. So he wants to be able to tell a story through his point of view and not necessarily put it into somebody else's hands where like, I'm sure he's well aware, like, yeah, he was, a, he was a nightmare back then. <laughs> you know, uh, there's a couple of anecdotes of him as like a rookie and a second year player where you just like, even now where the league is so much younger than, than it was back then. Yep. Um, even now you wouldn't have rookies behaving the way that he did. Like we I remember when Michael Porter Jr. said that what he said uh, to, after that playoff game about like, there needs to be more ball move or basically saying like he wasn't getting enough shots. He said it in a roundabout way. Basically everybody was like, bro, you don't say that you're a rookie. Right. Like, Kobe came in uh, off the rip was, <laughs> was doing, was pulling that kind of shit. So I do think there is a, a, a kind of a, a cool story arc if you do see it that way as like the person that he started out as versus like the person he ended up being. And the book does a good job of laying some foundation to like why he was that way as far as like being not growing up here, being isolated, kind of like that weird like um, thing that a lot of, of, of black kids experience where it's like they're trying to kind of um, – what is the word I'm looking for? Like fit into their own skin or like be comfortable in their own skin. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there is a lot of that as, as a kid in an adult game. So there's a, the book does a good job of at least like explaining where some of that comes from. Yes. Yeah, the, the, the childhood in Italy and coming back and you're talking about him at the camps and yeah, just getting killed by kids. Yeah. Yeah. It, that I agree with you. That was, that was a, um, that was a good, um, part of the, the Kobe narrative. I, I mean, I am now that I'm thinking about it and that's not the place of this book to do that. I, I, I would just, I would love the, the sequel to this book would be the like, um, from what, 2006 to 2012. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 2012, 13, probably. Yeah. Yeah, no, and I think that's maybe that's why Perlman didn't feel the need to to really put a shine on Kobe in this book is because like Kobe does get his redemption eventually. Yeah, 
So like that might be why there was an emphasis on like, yeah, this guy was kind of a dick back in like, yeah. he, you know, talked about the um, charity and, and generosity of Shaq show towards rookies. And yes, and that same exact rookie, there's an anecdote about Kobe just like barking at him for no reason. Yeah. Like, just going at him. Um, so it's like, yeah, you know, there's, there's kind of two sides of this coin. Um, and it would have been, I think, I don't think it would have came off as rough if he hadn't died just, uh, you know, a year earlier. No, I, I agree with that. And I think hypothetically, let's say Kobe's still alive. Yeah. The, this book serves as an interesting, let's say reminder of a lot of the things society forgot about Kobe Mm -hmm. and um, whether it's something horrific specifically like Colorado and, you know, the, it, and even like the stuff we learn about him as a teammate, like that had been, I, in my opinion, kind of set aside and almost like, and Kobe literally did this. Like, that's why there's two numbers retired in Staples center. That's yeah. why there's like, it's, it's a, it's a compartmentalization. And this book's about number eight. Yeah. This book is not about 24. It's this not about is, 24. Yep. Yeah, it's about number eight. This book is about number eight. And I, in, in a, in a, in a scenario where Kobe's still alive, there would have been some like, I, again, I think interesting conversations about that compartmentalization about us as a society, as a, as a people, like, what do we, what do we do with our heroes? Yeah. What do we, what do we do when the, our, our heroes, the people that we revere are, are um, for lack of a better phrase, not the best people. And yeah. what, do, what, do, what do we do when our heroes are, if not cri- like convicted criminally, like you have the DA, the DA basically says like, if this thing goes to trial, we've got them. Yeah in the book and there's a whole there's a whole you can have a whole conversation about what that what that says about the society writ large also um and maybe maybe that was permanent i'm speculating maybe that was a that was a goal of perlman going into it i don't no it makes sense especially with just a lot of the conversation that's been happening over the past few years with with you know entertainers and actors musicians comedians like um you know, me too definitely shook the tree in the sense of like, it made us question like, Hey, what do we value? Or like, what is, where is the line drawn? You know, what happens if like, you know, like, is it possible to talk about like the great things that Bill Cosby did for the images of black families and getting black people on TV and still be able to praise that while still acknowledging what he was accused of, you know, it's like, it's, it's, it's a conversation that, you know, you have to do with, frankly, a lot of people of high influence, like a lot of people are complicated. Uh, Tupac is the same way. Tupac is a very referential, like, or, you know, people hold him in high. I've, I love Tupac too. I idolize the guy. Um, but he actually went to jail for sexual assault, you know, same with Mike Tyson actually went to jail for sexual assault. Um, and so it's like I don't have the answers for how that conversation goes, no, or like no, hardly anything like that. But it's like the 
I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing that you're ch- challenged to at least think about those kind of things. I agree. I, yeah. I agree with that completely. So, yeah, I mean, that was, yeah, that was easily the the toughest part of the book to get through for me for obvious reasons, but um, you know, overall, like looking back on, on the book now, kind of take, having some time to take a step back from it. I do think what this book did remind a lot of people of was that like, yeah, it was, it, I mean, this was more or less a bus saw for those three years. Um, and that, you know, as often as like he would criticize a player or something like that, you know, he would come back in the next paragraph and be like, well, they dropped 40 on 25 shots, you know? Right. Um, and to your point, I mean, I think a lot of it was just a reminder of just like how great Shaq really was during that period. Um, it kind of, recorrecting some of the the course or guess some of the discourse when we do talk about the lakers as a dynasty or as a whole you know like where does Shaq fit within that equation i think you're right it the combustible nature of the thing is what made it so interesting yeah. in the time it's what makes it interesting to look back on now it um i so here, here's a question i have is I know Shaq and Kobe, when they did their, I forget who did it. was a TNT, like their face-to-face little interview thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) I know know neither of us really view that in that high regard. (laughs) Yeah. They, they said like, you know, three was short, right? Like they should have won much more than three. Yeah. On the other hand, I think there, there's plenty of examples of, super teams or like highly combustible situations like those Shaq Kobe Lakers not doing anything mm-hmm. and maybe winning one, but like coming apart at the seams there. So is Lakers fan RJ is three, like, was that like the median? Was that like the, the middle number for them? Is I it mean- too high? Is it too low? I think with everything you know about that team now, it's like, it's um, it's like almost impressive they even got the three, because eight years is a long time to be in a an unhappy relationship, which the Shaq and Kobe era was. Yeah, they had their their highs, I guess, or times where they were at a ceasefire, so to speak. But like that was that was an eight year relationship where neither of them liked each other. Yes, um, that's a long time to be in that kind of toxic relationship. So the fact that they were able to get three, I think, is a testament to Phil Jackson being able to to get this team together. I think it's a huge testament to those role players like the Rick Foxes, the Robert Warriors, the Derek Fishers to keep that thing as together as they could. And then also just to the fact that Shaq and Kobe are two top 10 players and were playing like as close to their primes together as like any two stars ever really had that won a championship outside of Curry and Durant, maybe. Right. Um, I think that's what it is a testament to. Sure, they sh- they could have won 2004 and they had a chance to win 2004 if Malone doesn't get hurt. But I almost feel better that they lost that because like they needed you couldn't let the air out of the balloon slow, so to speak, with that kind of thing. Because if they win that title, that might drag it out for like another year and then it's only going to get uglier from there. Right. So, I mean, 2004 was an ugly ugly way to end things like it was was. as bad as you can get but like based on what we know about that team 2000 if they ended that in 2005 it could have been much worse so (laughs) um 
I think three is fair. I think three, 99, 99 was kind of on a platter for him too. Um, they, but you know, I think this, that was just his first time. 98 and 97, you know, they, they run to a more experienced Utah team. Kobe's not ready yet. So if you, if you treat it like Kobe was a senior coming out of college or like a draft pick coming out of college, then he would have been ready by the time they make their run in 2000, 2001, 2002. So I think three, three is fair. I think they were capable of winning more. They, they probably should have won four, five is possible, but I think three is the right number. I think so too. Uh, especially when you frame it like that. And especially when you, um, he was just like, like Kobe was so young also. Dude, a ba- he was a baby. <laughs> he was yeah. 17 when he joined the team. Unreal. What were you doing at 17? I was a fucking knucklehead at 17, 18, 19. <laughs> I was having conversations with my teacher about how good Shaq was. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe you would have been fine. You would text me and would have gotten along. <laughs> you would text <laughs> oh man but no any last thoughts just about i guess like that team that era um i guess what what were the final takeaways now that we do have this book about that team you i i hesitate to say you'll never see something like that again because i mean literally 10 years later from this you have the heatles yeah and yeah. so like these things happen and, and, and these things come and go, but there is just something about and why you and I continue to talk about the Shaq Kobe Lakers and why we'll continue to talk about the Shaq Kobe Lakers is um, the characters involved and, you know, the lives involved, I should say. Yeah. Um, I think they're all really, they're all in their own way. Each person in this story is really interesting and I, the, the come, the, the coming of age is what the author calls it. They're like the, 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 how, how Kobe became Kobe. More like the growing pains of Kobe. The growing pains of Kobe, the prequel, the prequel of Kobe or whatever. All really interesting. Um, There was less of that with Shaq, like the Shaq kind of like, it started with his Orlando thing. Yeah. A lot here, but I find Shaq's childhood really interesting. I find Mm -hmm. like his military brat upbringing to be a huge factor about his his psyche then yeah. there's phil's psyche um rick fox is f- a fascinating person to throw in the i would read a book like, about rick fox's life for sure i would absolutely read a book about i would rick absolutely life. read a book about that yeah his his so all these all these all these people have i think just are just really really interesting to me mm-hmm. and i i um i don't know if we'll have that level. I mean, I'm sure we will, but like this, this group, this group off the court yeah, is what makes it. So that's why it's called three ring circus. Like it's about how there'll be great dynasties, but this one was just so unique, unique, combustible, interesting. I don't think we're ever going to see a championship team with that level of dysfunction. Um, but I also do think that it's a reminder that behind every winning team and every great team is like, there's definitely stuff there. Like if yep. you, if you peel back enough layers, you're going to find stuff. That's what the last dance tried to show us kind of, but you know, we know there's, there's more to that story too, even, yes, there um, is. but yeah, behind every great team, there's going to be conflict. There's going to be 
you know, struggle and things like that. And just the fact that they were able to navigate through that and, and really own an era in the NBA, um, despite the toxic, the toxicity, um, on that team is, is remarkable. And to your point, we're always going to talk about this team because they are, they're, they are a dynasty. They're the last team that went three in a row, even though we've had great teams like the Spurs, the Heatles and the Warriors, you know, none of them can make that claim. So they belong in an elite class with the Russell Celtics and Jordan's Bulls. And that's it. Those are the only people in that club right now. So um, yeah, as far as like, as far as just like what I think about this team, like at the end of the day, probably nothing really changed about how I feel about this team and what I think about them. Like they're still going to be that dynastic team that sure. Like you would have loved to see in a career with Shaq and Kobe playing together for 10 years. But like at the end of the day, you know um, I feel like Laker fans still got what they, they wanted. They still got titles um, after Shaq and, you know, now they're, they're winning titles again after Kobe. So all's well that ends up well in Lakerland. Yes, sir. Yeah, I think that's a good good spot to leave it at. Um, so thanks again for listening. Uh, again, the book is called Three Ring Circus. Um, let, me, let me get the full title for you. Full Ring Circus, Kobe, Shaq, Phil, and the Crazy Years of the Lakers Dynasty by Jeff Perlman. This is available. I got mine on Amazon. Came pretty quick. Um, but yeah, thank you again for listening. You can catch us at Shorts Goggles Pod on Instagram. Make sure to follow us. You can listen to us on Spotify, Breaker, uh, Anchor FM and uh, Google Podcast. We'll be back um, hopefully with some more exciting stuff in the NBA coming up. But if not, uh, we got a couple other ideas in, in the pipeline for you guys. So we'll make sure to keep the content coming. In the meantime, happy 2021. We'll see you next time. Peace.